Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yes. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. Yeah. It's raining. They don't care. These fans right here, pound for pound, bring as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns Making deposits. Time to cash the check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and Jay Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Hello and welcome in once again to the QB11 show, sponsored by Scoop Deck. Uh, I'm here today with Justin Hopkins from Scoop Deck, of course. How are you doing, Justin? I'm doing great. It's Sunday morning. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to what I think will be two much better NFL games at some point during the day. Uh, my better half, Kim, is a huge Cowboys fan, so she's uh, – I don't want to say she's excited for that game. I mean, she is, but she also – Feels like there's a buzz buzz saw that's about to hit her <laughs> in San Francisco. So, but yeah, other than that, everything's good and and great. And uh, I just wish it would warm up. Well, I, yeah, yeah. Well, you might be a while on the warm up front, but um, <laughs> it can't be two. It can't be two games that are worse than than yesterday's. I think those were very uncompetitive and uninteresting games for the most part. And, uh, you'd have to think that your odds are good at getting getting at least more entertaining games today. I, yeah, I was really surprised, uh, you know, more so at the Giants and, and Eagles game, just because those two teams have such a good history. But yeah, I mean, clearly the Giants were outclassed and the Eagles were, were ready to go and just, you know, weren't even going to let them in the game. So it was kind of a weird match matchup anyways. But um, yeah, unfortunately, two kind of, you know, boring games for the most part yesterday. So hopefully today is a lot more entertaining. I don't have any skin in either of the games today, so I'm just rooting for two fun games. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I don't like either of the 49ers or the Cowboys. So uh, you know, maybe they can both lose, but somehow I don't. I don't think that's possible. If my math <laughs> is correct, right. <laughs> uh, so I thought you know we'd get you here and here a little bit to talk about recruiting today, and then you know maybe a couple other topics as well. But let's start with recruiting. I mean, Oregon has a pretty big visitor list on campus. Uh, for this weekend, which is uh, the second to last weekend of the visit period. And we can get into the recruiting calendar a little bit as well. So a big list on campus today. I know you've covered all of those names over on Scoop Deck as well. But, you know, maybe hit on some highlights there. You know, who in, in this group, and a lot of these kids are 2024 20, kids, 2025 20, kids, right? The 23 class is 
you know, wind, winding down. There's a couple of targets left there, but you know, a lot of these guys are in the 2024 and beyond classes and maybe just touch on a couple of the headliners that you think Oregon will continue to be in the mix for as we go through the next year. Yeah, no. So that's a, you know, a really good point. Maybe I'll start with the education side of things. You know, this is, in let's just say for those that haven't followed recruiting for a decade plus, uh, normally uh, a decade ago, January would have been a hot and heavy month, right? You would have been having guys on campus and, and really trying to make that last visit. And there was no early signing day at that point. So all these guys are still fair game. So you're still flipping guys and doing this and doing that. And, and that's obviously changed. You know, they, they added the early signing period, which we had in December there. Uh, all of Oregon's commits at that time signed with Oregon, which means those guys are locked and loaded. And that was, you know, that's very much par for the course around the country. Most of these top schools uh, had nearly all of their commits signed, and that's kind of become the new model in recruiting. So what that means now is if you're elite at recruiting and you're doing a really good job, 90, let's just say 90% of your work is done on that early signing day. And that was the case for Oregon. You know, they've only got uh, off the top of my head, really three viable guys in the 2023 class that they're actively recruiting and pushing for. And those are five-star athlete, Nicholas Harbor, uh, five-star tight end, Deuce Robinson, uh, and then four-star athlete, Roderick Pleasant, who could play wide receiver or defensive back. So those are kind of the names that we're tracking in 2023. Only a few, right? Just not very many. That's three. Oregon's probably not going to get all three. I'd say that's unlikely. You know, could end up with two of those three. Um, but, you know, if you're just recruiting three guys, that means you've got a lot of other time uh, for a lot of other guys. So the new the new calendar, the new, the new game is, is really getting those 2024s, so the upcoming class, on campus as early as possible. You really have to maximize this January period to get as many of those top guys you want on campus because that really lays the groundwork into the spring, which has now become the absolute critical time in recruiting. The spring is is really what used to be, you know, December and January is now, you know, basically March, April, May. Those are kind of the key months in recruiting. I'm just going to sit here and without looking, without looking, I would say that by July of last year and what will be July of this year, Oregon probably will have roughly, roughly two thirds of its class committed by July, by the end of July. That's just the way the recruiting calendar works anymore. So again, that lays the groundwork for them to be able to kind of focus on the team in the fall and be successful uh, in the fall, kind of recruiting that last, that last third, if you will, will be more than likely elite guys or guys that they have really high on their board after evaluations. So a little education there on that. But um, to your point this weekend, I think Oregon had roughly 25-ish visitors on campus, um, a couple in the 2023 class, a lot in the 2024 class, and even some 2025 and 26s that they're getting an early start on. Uh, I won't go through the whole list, but um, – you know, a couple of the headliners, probably the biggest headliner is Ole Miss starting safety. Taishin Johnson did take an official visit to Oregon this weekend. Um, he entered the transfer portal late last week. So about a week from uh, a week from today, as we're recording, um, that's a guy that it looks like Oregon's, you know, pretty high on. I believe Oregon is his first and currently only visit 
Um, and once again, as far as transfers go, unlike recruiting, you kind of want to be that first visit on transfers. Recruiting, you prefer to be one of the latter visits, but um, on transfers, a lot of these guys that are worthwhile transfers usually are jumping into the portal with an idea already of where they want to go or their top two or three schools that, you know, that they view as realistic options. So Taishim Johnson, um, the headliner, the only transfer that I'm aware of visiting Oregon this weekend, I think Oregon yeah. really, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, as I say, yeah, and we've, we've kind of seen what you said play out across the country, but also here at Oregon, you know, if you look at the nine transfers that Oregon has added already, I mean, a lot of those guys made their first visit to Oregon and their only visit to Oregon, and then and then shortly thereafter committed. I mean, you look at Jordan Birch, Evan Williams, um, you know, a John, a actually took a multiple visits, right? But uh, you know, Junior Angelo, uh, Holden, Jacobs, like all those guys came, went into the portal, showed up at Oregon. In some cases, I don't even know if they visited. Maybe they had previously visited, but most of them visited Oregon and then committed. And and I guess if you're Oregon, you're hoping maybe Taishim is another one of those. It's, it's the visit is really more of like. I'm pretty sure I'm going there, but let me just go check all the boxes and make sure I, that's where I really want to go, and then uh, we'll lock this thing up. So obviously he's got another week still if he does want to take other visits, but I think if you're Oregon, an Oregon fan who's hoping to land this kid, and I, and I am one of those, I think he's he would slot right into our nickel position, which we really don't have a a returning starter there or, or a guy who's obviously the the next guy in line there. And I think he, he'd fit that bill perfectly. So I'd love to get him. And, and I think if you're an Oregon fan, you hope he's like, just this is a formality and, and he commits here in the next couple of days or a week or so. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. And it's, that's a great point, Doug. I mean, just getting these guys on. And, and I think, um, I think you and I probably agree that safety is an, is a, a spot where Oregon could use more help. Right. And then, yeah. You know, if you're needing help and you want to compete and win right away, the best way to do that is by getting a transfer. So, um, you know, of course, it would have been nice to get five star Peyton Bowen. And maybe that would have been the guy had he ended up signing with Oregon. Um, but as we know, he did not. So, you know, yeah, they got a little more active in the transfer portal at safety. Um, the last couple of names I'll hit on just so I'm not rambling, but um, there's a trio of players from St. Francis Academy. One of them is highly ranked quarterback. Uh, Michael Van Buren. He's already posted some pictures and stuff of his trip. He's been to Oregon before, but I believe, uh, I, not I believe, I know that this is the first trip he's made to Oregon with new offensive coordinator Will Stein in place. So that you know is an important part of the equation. Um, you know he's a he's an elite quarterback. I think if I remember correctly, he's like number seven the number seven ranked quarterback in this class. Um, you know, so yeah, that's, that's really that's big. Correct. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Uh, his teammate running back Dijon Williams also visited again, another top 200 level type player. Um, really good looking running back. I would imagine that coach Lachlan looks to take two quarterbacks or excuse me, two running backs in this recruiting cycle. But um, I guess we'll again? kind of see how that plays out. I know two more uh, after right? taking two in this class. That seems it seems like uh, a lot, but um, you know, obviously, there's going to continue to be attrition in that room, and guys will go pro as well. So like, maybe it's not crazy. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's early, so here we are in January talking about it. But um, yeah, I, I would certainly say that you know that could potentially be um, you know something to keep an eye on there. Uh, the last one from that trio from that school, and I, I'm certain that I'm going to butcher this is is defensive back cornerback Efi. Obidegwu, Obidegwu, O-B-I-D-E-G-W-U. 
EGW. Pronounce it however you want. That's how I pronounced it. So uh, anyways, another good looking player, top 200 level guy, um, you know, really good looking cornerback, defensive back, um, all three from the same school, all three visiting this weekend. So it's nice to get them together. Uh, maybe the last guy that I'll, I'll mention would be offensive lineman Preston Tawamua, who is from Hawaii, an offensive lineman, four star. Um, I think that's a guy for Oregon fans to keep an eye on as well as Coach Clem, you know, tries to put together what I think will be a bigger offensive line class in this cycle. Yeah, I mean, I think it has to be bigger and it probably also needs to have more, you know, top end, top end talent to it than I think, um, you know, we had we saw in the 2023 class, if, I, if I'm nitpicking uh, from the prep level, right? I think that it certainly seemed like Oregon went big game hunting at, at the offensive line in the 2023 class, a lot of out of area guys, and, and unfortunately didn't really land any of them. Um, and I think that's maybe, and maybe it'll be interesting to see if the strategy changes this year. I think also the, the West coast talent on the offensive line was pretty bad in the 23 class at the top end level. Um, I think the 2024 class looks to have better top end talent there. So it'll definitely be an interesting thing to watch the offensive line recruiting over the course of the year. You know, going back a little bit to the trio you mentioned with Van Buren and, and the running back in the corner. I mean, that's uh, those guys are out of Baltimore, Maryland, and that's an area of the country where Oregon has made some inroads in the last couple of classes and, and landed some guys out of that area. So it's nice to see those kind of initial fruits are, you know, or the additional seeds are bearing fruit now and we're continuing to get guys to come out from there and potentially, you know, Van Buren looks to be Oregon's first choice of quarterback in this cycle. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, I, I think he's definitely in the top two or top three. And I think that, you know, as far as Oregon is concerned, you're going to have to, um, be a bit selective in the fact that, okay, look, you got Bo Nix coming back. Everybody knows that, but you also signed Austin Novosad in this class. So whoever comes to Oregon in 2024 is going to know that, Hey, look, I'm going to be a year behind Austin Novosad. I'm going to be a couple years behind Ty Thompson. Both are highly, you know, decorated, uh, you know, quarterback recruits. So, you know, in this game of quarterback recruiting is different than all the rest, right? These guys, by and large, are expecting to come and compete for a starting job right away. It's totally different. And it, it didn't used to be that this way, but it's certainly more the case now. So I think, yeah, you know, maybe they've identified, you know, that, hey, look, sure, we'd love to have Dylan Rayola or we'd love to have, you know, any, any of the five stars, uh, you know, in the class. But the, real, the realistic chances of signing them behind, you know, the quarterbacks that they have now might be a lot smaller than a guy like Michael Van Buren, who maybe isn't a five-star, but we're still talking about a top 100 level recruit. We're still talking about a top 10 quarterback. Um, you know, I guess I, for me, I kind of go back to a, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Right. So, right. Um, yeah, I think, I think there's some strategy there, you know, for this staff to be very mindful of, okay, who can we realistically get, who should we realistically be putting our efforts into um, and I think that's kind of where we're at. And thus, to your point, why Van Buren's probably one of their top choices. Well, and we know with quarterback recruiting, I mean, the hit rate is not it's not good. You know, they're, they're not all going to pan out. Uh, you know, maybe half if half of them pan out, you're doing pretty well. Right. So I think if the idea is if I mean, Van Buren's a top 10 quarterback in his class, uh, Novosad was a top 10 quarterback in his class. Right. If you can get a top 10 quarterback every year 
I mean, you only need half of them to be hell. You only might need one out of every three to pan out, especially because you got the portal to, to fall back on and in, in for the years that they don't pan out. Right. So, but I still think taking a top 10 guy every year, you know, gets you the best odds of, of having, getting that, you know, 33 to 50% hit rate at that position. And then, then you got a guy for two to three years. Yeah, no, you make a great point. And I think along with that, when you get those guys in there and maybe, you know, you get them for a year to, to work them through, you know, spring ball and, and, a, and a fall, you enter that next season, that next cycle, kind of knowing what you have on the on the roster, on the team. You know, are we good at quarterback or do we need to entertain the transfer portal? Because, you know, as you and I are both well aware, the, the quarterback is the most fruitful position in the transfer portal. Like every year there's five to ten guys in there that most teams feel like, hey, I could win with this guy. I mean, no disrespect, but a guy like DJ Ugalali ends up at Oregon State. And I love what Jonathan Smith has done there, but that, you know, that's a former five-star. Maybe he maybe he continues to develop and becomes a better college quarterback. We don't know, but I mean there's a I mean that's just kind of an example. He he wasn't even a he wasn't even a top ten quarterback in the in the transfer portal rankings uh this cycle. So uh, I just think that yeah if you can continue to get those guys and try and develop them for a year or two, then that gives you a chance at keeping them for two or three years instead of a potential one or just two year type of guy. Yeah, totally. You know, I think one of the things on the last thought on the quarterback side is one of the things that Oregon has kind of struggled with over the last few cycles, you know, maybe the last several, four or five cycles is you, know, you see a lot of these top teams kind of getting their quarterback commit locked in early in the cycle, right? And that, that player becomes one of the peer recruiters, kind of the cornerstone of the class that helps build the rest of the class. And and I mean, obviously, Oregon got a commitment from Dante Moore last year that didn't didn't work out in the end, but it wasn't an early commitment. I mean, he didn't commit until I think late July. You know, you see a lot of these teams getting their quarterbacks committed in you know February, March, April. Is that something that you know we could expect to see as Oregon fans this year? Whether it's Van Buren or somebody else is getting that guy locked in earlier in the spring to help recruit the rest of the not that it you know necessarily hurt Oregon on the rest of the class but it, it doesn't help if you're if you're still looking for a quarterback commit come late summer right yeah you, you know if yeah in a perfect in a perfect world you've got your quarterback committed uh, early in the recruiting cycle and then they become a a top peer recruiter for you you know and that's that's what you want I do think that you know as we can as we can see now Dante Moore was an outlier last year in terms of uh, when he made his commitment, right? Most of the top guys were off the board, probably at least two to three months before he made his decision. And I think if you sat Dan, Dan Lanning down and he was having a, a very, you know, honest conversation, he'd say, yeah, we'd love to have our quarterback committed in March or April or whatever. And then that allows us to have that quarterback, you know, reaching out to wide receivers and running backs and offensive linemen and tight ends and those guys helping recruit because that's, I mean, in any class, your best recruiter typically ends up being your quarterback. That's just kind of by nature. Dante Moore, once again, an exception because, as we know, he was a very, very reserved young man. He kept to himself, didn't really do a lot of recruiting uh, for Oregon. You know, you, you know him and Jurion Dickey maybe didn't quite have the communication that you would like. Um, and so I think maybe Oregon will be mindful of that this year, you know, looking at these quarterbacks and personalities and um, you know, seeing who can help, um, 
Although when you have a guy like Dante Moore, he's so dang talented that, you know, you just want to get him committed and signed. And, and uh, I do think he's going to, you know, I think Chip Kelly's probably licking his chops there a little bit, but um, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, to answer your question, that was long winded. You, you know, you'd love to get your guy committed um, sooner than later. And I think Oregon will, will be very proactive in March and April trying to get an early commitment from the quarterback. Yeah. And just to follow up on that point um, for the 2024 class, five of the top 11 quarterbacks are already committed. Um, and then one Dylan, the number one Dylan Royola was committed and obviously backed off that commitment. So, um, you know, five of the top 11 already. And obviously the dominoes, you know, it's kind of one of those things some of the national podcasts follow every, every year, the quarterback dominoes and, and they start falling hot and heavy, you know, in March and, and April particularly. So that'll be something for people to watch as well. Um, you know, let's shift gears a little bit. We have what, one more. One thing for you, shift. Yeah. One thing for you, shift. The only reason you and I are omitting, in case you don't know, the only reason you and I are omitting the month of February is because it's a quiet month. It's a dead month. So there won't be any visits. Coaches can't hit the road. Communication's minimal. So there's very few commitments in the month of February for anybody nationally. So just so if you if you didn't already know that, that's why you and I are skipping ahead to March. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, so there's one more visit weekend in this in this open um, sorry contact period. So that goes through the 29th. And then, like you said, the, the dead period hits January 30th and runs through the entire month of February. And then once we get into March, uh, March 1st through the through April 15th, then you have the the contact. I'm sorry, the uh, yeah, the quiet period, which allows uh, recruits to visit campuses. So all March and the first half of April recruits can visit campuses and then and then from april through may and june it, it's two-way visits so recruits can visit and coaches can go out on the road and visit visit again so um yeah all that's coming up in in the march april may time frame and, and into june which is like you said when you see a lot of those commitments happening um let's shift over a little bit there is that one weekend left next weekend uh, i know you'll be covering this throughout uh, throughout the week on Scoop Duck, and, and the one headliner name everyone knows is probably coming. The main the main guy coming to visit next weekend for Oregon is, is the five star athlete you mentioned before, Nicholas Harbor. Highly interested in running track in college, which you know obviously helps Oregon as well. You know, can you touch on on Harbor at all, and, and where do you think Oregon you know sits in that recruiting battle? Yeah, I mean, so a really interesting recruiting right recruitment. Excuse me. Um, you know, going into that early signing period back in December, uh, you know, he he wasn't really on on our radar. Right. I mean, he had visited Oregon in the spring. Uh, you know, Oregon kind of felt like there was some interest, but that his you know, that the likelihood of him leaving the area again. This is another northeast recruit that we were talking about earlier. The likelihood of him leaving the area wasn't especially strong. I, I think a big part of that. And I think what's really kind of thrust Oregon back into the mix is the fact that, you know, as we know, Oregon, uh, uh, Oregon, the school made a move with its uh, track and field coaches and got really aggressive uh, in the in the speed sprinting department with the new hire. And I think that that's been a very huge catalyst for Oregon getting back into the mix with Harbor. This is this is an elite like elite elite freak athlete i mean this kid's six foot five 225 pounds and outruns everybody just an elite athlete so um in terms of how he fits on the football field it sounds as though he would like to play on offense which with that size given that size and and uh the makeup of his body probably puts him at you know kind of like a hybrid tight end 
you know, wide position, if you will. You know, you'll move him around. Um, he'll be really tough for linebackers to keep up with. He'll be really tough for cornerbacks to match up with because he's so much taller than them. So um, I think that's kind of where he fits in. And I, and I think that with the way Oregon, you know, utilized its tight ends last year, um, and I think with the fact that, you know, you have such an – you have the best track and field program in the country, right? You've got the best facilities. You've got all of that. You've got big Nike money there. That's put Oregon in the mix. I would say that this one's probably boiling down to Oregon and Maryland. And once again, if you're a, a recruiting fan, you say, oh, Oregon should, you know, beat Maryland out for a recruit 10 out of 10 times. And yeah, I get what you're saying on the surface, but again, I'll circle back to what I said originally. I think, you know, this is one where I think distance was a concern initially. I think that's still very much a part of this recruitment, but it certainly seems as though he's giving Oregon uh, a much bigger look at this time around. So yeah, you get him on campus next weekend. Um, like we said earlier, with transfers, you want to be the first visit. With recruits, you want to be the last visit, and Oregon's going to be the last visit. So um, it, it looks like Oregon's in really, really good shape here. But of course, you know, you, you never know. Yeah, you don't you don't count on the on anything until the until the name is signed on the dotted line. And, and in some cases, even that doesn't matter. But uh, I, I don't expect that, obviously, in this case. But yeah, we'll see. That's going to play out over the next uh, two weeks as he goes to his visit and then sign, the second signing day, you know, being uh, you know, about 10, 10, 11 days away. So something to keep an eye on over at Scoop Duck all week long. Well, and, and with this particular recruitment, just to you know, say I get really nervous, you know, just from doing this as long as I have, I get really nervous about a distance based recruit in the final 36, 48 hours. You know what I mean? Like I could mm -hmm. feel like, you know, Hey, Oregon's got the lady that they're going to nail. They're going to nail the visit. He's going to come out of the visit, loving Oregon. I, I mean, we can already see it. I already know what's going to happen. He's going to love Oregon, yada, yada, yada. And then that last 48 hours is going to get really weird because distance now becomes a reality. Like, Hey, I'm about to move 3000 miles across the country. I'm about to leave my family and everybody I, I know to go play football 3000 miles away and, and run track or whatever. So, you know, again, I can see how this thing plays out and, and I can see, I can already see the roller coaster that's about to take place. Uh, so yeah, this will be one to watch. I think all the way till it's signed. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, you want to do, you want to pivot and talk a little bit about the PAC 12 schedule? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so that was released on Wednesday by the conference. Finally, uh, in the last couple of years, I think it had come out in December, so we had to wait a little bit longer. Uh, sounds like they were trying to make some moves around uh, moving the Arizona State-Colorado game up to week zero, which the NCAA denied. I think they were also trying to work with USC to, to figure out a way to get them a game in week 13, so they didn't have a, the last week by and, you know, and a, and a stretch of eight games in a row in between. But again, that didn't work out. I think those two things were related. Uh, but the schedule that did come out, I, you know, the first thing I do, of course, is look at Oregon's stretch of it. And and I've said this on Twitter and elsewhere. I, I think Oregon got a really, really favorable schedule. I mean, obviously, all the teams and locations were already known, right? It was just a matter of which teams and locations on which days and if you're Oregon, I think you have to love this schedule. It, it, it really could not have been more ideal, I think, from, from a positioning standpoint. You know, there's no back-to-back -back road games. There's no back-to-back -back games against teams that finished in the top of the conference last year. Every, every one of those is separated by a team 
you know, that's at in the lower echelons of the conference, right? So you've got you've got the first five weeks, and then you got the bye, and then you got Washington, then you've got Washington State, then you got Utah, then you got Cal, then you got SC, then you got Arizona State, then you got the Beavers. So I really think it's a great a great run for Oregon. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, uh, I guess first things first, there's no Georgia on the schedule. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> so, helps, that helps. So, so that's a good start, right? And no disrespect to Portland State or Texas Tech or Hawaii, but those are three three very winnable games for Oregon. Um, so you you got to like the fact that they could potentially be looking at 3-0, and not starting out 0-1 on the season. Um, and then, I, I mean, I don't know, just for me, I love the fact that Oregon got Deion Sanders in Colorado up first in Pac-12 play on September 23rd, home game for the Ducks. You know, there's going to be a ton of buzz around it because, you know, Colorado in prime time and yada, yada, yada. Again, I looked at Colorado's schedule real quick and their first five games. Uh, I looked at it and went, oh, they could potentially be one and four to start the season because they start out Pac-12 play with Oregon and then USC. Uh, they play Nebraska. I can't remember, but they have they have some tough games to to start the season. So prime could be in trouble to start, but uh, I still think, you know, Oregon fans will, will kind of love, love that. But yeah, like you said, I mean, you know, you start out with Colorado and and Stanford and you get a buy. And the reason I like the way that that sets up, you know, you should beat Colorado. You should beat Stanford. Although I think they'll get better uh, with, with the new head coach there. And then you get a buy. So you got three weeks to really kind of see where your team, you know, needs help where your team is, is strong. You know what I mean? So, and then you can kind of enter that really pivotal stretch, uh, hopefully firing in all cylinders. Now, again, that buy comes right before you head to Seattle and playing Washington. So we know that's going to be a tough game. I don't have to sell that one. Um, and I think, like you said, overall, this schedule is as good as it can be for Oregon, but with the caveat that there's this, the Pac-12 should once again be really good this year. It was really good last year. There wasn't a lot of gimmies. And I think this year, you know, if you look at most of the teams, you think, you know, hey, Washington's going to be good. Washington State will be tough. They might not be the best, but they'll be tough. Utah, you know, is going to be tough. USC is going to be good. They're going to put points on the board. Um, who knows about ASU under Dillingham? Obviously, he took a ton of transfers, which... Uh, I would have done too. So kudos to him for that. But, you know, that'll be an interesting game. And and as you and I both know, uh, the state of Arizona has kind of always been this vortex for Oregon. Um, <laughs> and that's a definite trap game too, right after USC, right before Oregon State. Totally agree. On the road, you got Dillingham, who's going to understand your defense as good as anybody because obviously you practiced against it all year. Definitely a trap game. And then you finish with Oregon State, who once again will be good. Jonathan Smith's done a terrific job with that program. Um, and just like Washington State, they were kind of that that tough, stingy team that you were always afraid to face because they could beat you. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it lays out really well. But again, the Pac-12 should be really good. I believe it was the second best conference in the country this year from top to bottom. SEC was still, uh, you know, the the conference to beat. But I do think the Pac-12 last year was the second best conference top to bottom. And I could definitely see that this year, especially with the uh, the wealth of arms they have at quarterback in this conference. Yeah. Going back to the Dion thing, too, I, I really think the conference did a great job of trying to maximize their you know, the, the amount of eyeballs and visibility and interest that the, the country might have in Pac-12 games throughout the season. You know, like you said, they, they 
Colorado at Oregon is the, you know, opening up the conference play week four. That's going to be a game that has a lot of eyeballs nationally. Everyone's going to want to see Dion and what's going on there. And obviously coming to Autzen and then they play, you know, they play USC the next week. They host USC the next week, which again is going to be another, another game that garners a lot of national attention. And, and I think it was smart of the PAC 12 to put their two, their two top brands up against Colorado in the first two weeks of the conference season, because, you know, I, you know, while Dion is going to improve Colorado, I mean, how could you not from the disaster that they were like, they're not going to be, they're going to fall out of it. Right. I mean, they're not, I don't expect them to be a bowl team. Maybe they win four or five games, but you know, the back half of the season, you know, that story is going to be played out. You know, the national isn't going to be talking about Dion anymore because they're going to be talking about the playoff race and all the other stuff. So I think it's really smart of the conference to front load those games when, when there will still be interest in, in watching Dion in September against the two biggest brands in the Pac-12. So I think that was really smart. And then beyond that, I think the conference was really smart in making sure that they had every single week of conference play, except one, I think, they have games that are clear, you know, premium games, which I think is a much better job than they did in the 2022 season when when they had a lot of those kind of stacked in the same week. We, you know, go back to that that week where Utah and Utah and Oregon played the same week as, as USC and UCLA. And one of those games got relegated to the seven thirty time slot just because of, you know, TV network politics, which is just a, a huge lost opportunity for the conference. And I thought they did a much better job this year. If you go through the week by week schedule, you can see a premium game. Oh, that's the, that's the number one TV choice this week. Clear, you know, clear as day, right? So you got the Colorado Oregon game. You got the next week you got, uh, you know, USC Colorado, uh, you know, then you've got a week where it's Washington, Oregon, and then you've got obviously, you know, USC and and Washington one week. So just saying, a stacks week after week after week where you've got a clear premium game that should get big numbers on TV, which is is smart for the conference to do that. Absolutely, yeah. Getting those marquee matchups—that's uh, a great point too, Doug. I hadn't really looked at it uh, that that well, so that was really great for you to bring that up. And like you said, that that gives uh, networks an incentive to say, Hey, yeah, we want to carry a PAC 12 game and make sure that we're getting one on it at 1230 or at five o'clock or, you know, in a, in a, in a better window that gets more eyeballs on it for sure. Um, no, that's, that's great. And, uh, I don't know. I, I'm just excited. I think it, I, I, I'm excited because a few years ago, like, and I, I am not trying to belittle the accomplishments of Chip Kelly or Mario Cristobal, but I think they were able to kind of take advantage of, of a of a down Pac-12 certain years. You know, the the conference wasn't especially strong, and I and I think that you know current last year, I think the Pac-12 was a really good conference last year. It, it, there was good football teams in there that could beat pretty much anybody around the country, and I think that'll be the same this year. You, you're not going to get through, um, you know, you're not going to get through this schedule playing mediocre football and you know playing safe football or whatever the case might be so um I, i'm really excited that i think we're going to see a lot of great games this year i think we saw a lot of great games last year not just oregon games i mean pac-12 games um and I, I think that'll be the case once again this season yeah unfortunately i think it'll also be the case once again this season where because of that the pac-12 kind of eats their own you know from a playoff you know perspective right i it's hard to see a team running the gauntlet and going 12 and one or better to, to make it into that top four. You know, I, mean, I think the conference got really close last year, obviously with USC losing and, and 
on conference championship weekend. Um, I think Oregon was in the running late until Bo Nix got hurt, kind of knocked them out, um, you know, with those losses late in the year. But I kind of see, I kind of see the same thing as the most likely scenario again this year. I mean, USC has, you know, like I said, eight games in a row and they've got a stretch where they play at Notre Dame, Utah, at Cal, Washington, at Oregon, UCLA. Like that's their last six games of the year, all in a row, no weeks off. I mean, obviously Cal's, Cal's, you know, the one you'd look in there and say, oh, well, it's just Cal, but that's, that's one of the six games, Notre Dame, Utah, Washington, Oregon, UCLA, five out of six weeks. You know, that's going to be a tough stretch for them to navigate. And, and they're going to, they'd have to win, you know, at least at most they could lose one of those and still hope to make the playoffs. Right. And, you know, and you look at Utah, Utah's got a tough schedule too, like Florida, Baylor in the non-conference, you know, they go to Oregon state, they host UCLA. They don't have to play. Um, well, they actually play Oregon and Washington from the North and SC. Right. So they've got to run that gauntlet. And I don't see them. I don't see them only coming out with one loss. I mean, they had three losses this year and they have a harder schedule at it. Washington kind of got the Oregon treatment from this year. You know, Oregon, if you remember, had to end that season with Washington, Utah, and Oregon State. Two of those, you know, being at home, but but Oregon State can't be on the road. That was the final three for Oregon, and Washington kind of got that treatment this year. They they end with at USC, host Utah, at Oregon State, host the Apple Cup. That's their final four. And oh. I mean, if they don't, if they lose to Oregon, I'm not saying they will. That's going to be a good game, but let's just say the loser of that Oregon Washington game, you know, probably has to run the table after that. And if that if Washington loses that game, expecting them to win all of USC, Utah, and Oregon State all in a row with two of those being on the road, like that's a big ask. Yeah, yeah, and especially you're you're talking about later in the season where injuries start piling up, right? You know, I mean you're. Your, your starting quarterback's dinged up or you're missing a, a defensive lineman or, you know, yeah, towards the end of the season, it gets it gets uh, exponentially tougher. And, and you, I think you make a great point. I, I I still I hate I totally get this, but I hate it that, you know, the SEC and the and the Big Ten, for the most part, can self cannibalize and it's just good football. And yet the Pac-12 can't. You know what I mean? The Pac-12, they, they don't have a contender. They, you know, they lost two games or they lost it. You know, it's like. Yeah, they lost to another good team. Like, I mean, you know, when when Alabama lost to Georgia, that's because they lost to a good team. You know, I, as I recall, Michigan beat Ohio State. You know, but um, you know they get the the benefit of the doubt there, and uh, the Pac-12 still doesn't. Um, you know, maybe that'll change. Maybe it won't. I guess I don't well, know I think, because. No, go ahead. I was say, I mean, I think the difference there obviously is twofold. One, I mean, even though those teams lose to each other, they still only have one loss at the end of the year, right? Whereas the Pac-12 yeah. always seems to end up with two, which is, you know, the, the huge difference maker. So it's not so much that you can't afford to drop a game to one of the other top teams in the Pac-12. You just can't drop a second game. Like, you know, Washington last year drops a second game to Arizona State, right? Um, you know, USC obviously loses to Utah twice, and that's tough. You know, Oregon, you know, could have survived, you know, if they didn't play, obviously they played Georgia, right? So then they, you know, but they could have survived that if they ran the table in the Pac-12. But running the table is always a tall order. Um, yeah. You know, the, the you know, a lot of people were talking about the Beavers as a dark horse candidate, you know, to, w- to win the conference or get to the conference title game. And, and, and certainly you have to respect that, especially the fact that they don't play 
they don't play USC um, this year helps them as well. But they do end their season with Washington and Oregon back to back in the last two weeks of the season. And, and they huh. and earlier earlier than that, obviously they they got to go up to the Palouse, which is never easy. They host USC. I'm sorry, UCLA and and Utah. So uh, you know, for Oregon State to make it to the Pac-12 title game, it's certainly possible. Uh, my, my dark horse though. Is UCLA again? Um, yeah. I kind of had written them off after this year, but if you look at two things, one, what they've done in the portal, like Chip is Chip is built for the portal era, right? Uh, it's he's just he doesn't care about high school recruiting as much as he should. He doesn't do very well there. Obviously, he got he got Dante Moore at the last minute, and he got a couple of, of blue chip wide receivers. But like, once again, he's cleaning up in the portal, and if you combine that with their soft as Charmin schedule. They could they could easily make a run to the Pac-12 title game. Yep. No, I totally agree with you. Um, I agree be- because of a number of reasons, but you made one of them for me, which is uh, Chip loves to live in the transfer portal, and it, it's it's tailor made to him. You're getting somebody that requires a lot less attention, doesn't need all these edits and all this other stuff that Chip absolutely hates dealing with, and they're going to come in more mature and kind of like ready to play. You don't have to babysit them as much. He is going to, as long as he's coaching in college, he's going to be, you know, very active in the transfer portal. Um, and I, I totally agree. Some of the, the running back he picked up, um, I think he's going to be great for them. That's totally a chip guy. I also think that uh, the quarterback Schley that they took will end up starting, which I mean, we can get into this, but I think Dante Moore will transfer after Schley starts uh, for a season. I don't think he's really? going to hang out. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I mean, you're talking about a kid from Michigan in L.A., you know, is he, is he going to hang around? I mean, L.A.'s nice, don't get me wrong, but um, we'll see. That's something we'll see next year. Um, you know, additionally, uh, it's just uh, it's, like you said, they got a great schedule. I think Oregon State's great, but I think what people are overlooking is that they lost a lot of guys on defense. A lot of guys that were contributors that were you know, three, four year, three, four year guys there that made a huge difference. Uh, their defense was good. I mean, it wasn't elite, but it was good. So I think I think folks are kind of overlooking that part with Oregon State. That's going to set them back a little bit. But yeah, UCLA, good looking team. Um, we'll see. You know how Chip pulls it all together because we know he can he can run offense. They might even be better without DTR there. You know that guy was pretty erratic. Um, if they could be a little bit more efficient offensively, they'll be good. But yeah, and then. Last thing on that note is this is the the last year of the Pac-12 as we know it. So um, I guess there's that storyline that will probably evolve as well. Yeah, it it remains to be seen, you know, if the Pac-12 adds other schools to replace USC and UCLA or not. You know, And then also what their scheduling model is going to look like either way going forward. There's been a lot of talk around the conference of going down to eight conference games, which Sounds good in, in in some aspects, but I think would be a massive blunder because a it's going to hurt your revenue. Uh, TV TV partners aren't going to pay for you know you to play some FCS or Group of Five team like they would for you to play a, a conference opponent. And then secondly, the Pac-12 is not going to get the same benefit of the doubt that the SEC does by playing one less conference game. They're just not like they're going to get killed right. for it. They're going to get killed for it. And and also like a lot of the ads express how hard it is to to fill those out of conference games as it is and trying to add a fourth one isn't going to be any easier you know the, the thing about here on the west is there's not that many teams 
Um, you can't play two FCS games and most teams already play one. So you can't add that, you know, and there's only so many group of five teams to go around. You, you know, BYU is not really available anymore. Like they used to be to fill schedules because they're in a conference now, you know, how many mountain West teams do you want to play? Right. And are they available and how much do they want to get paid? Right. Those, those mountain West teams want home and homes. They don't want to do pay games, right? If you're Oregon and some of the top end teams in the conference, you're able to get two for ones with the mountain West teams, right? Like, like Oregon, we've seen Oregon have with Boise State coming up. They have with Hawaii starting this year. You know, they got a lot of two for ones. But you know, if you're if you're the con, if you're a, you want to have seven home games, and and doing home and homes with you know multiple group of five teams is going to make it so many years you only have six home games. And I don't I don't think that's what anybody wants. Yeah, no, I I agree with what you're saying, and those are all really good points that you kind of overlook initially. But once you start, you know, like like you did la- laying them out. You know, it definitely makes a lot more sense. And it's certainly going to be a, an interesting time because, as we know, you know, I think if you're just talking specifically about Oregon, you know, you had your eyes on the Big Ten and now Kevin Warren's gone. And it was cl- it's it's coming out that he was really the huge push behind expansion and nobody else is really on board with it. So um, I don't know. It's it's definitely going to be an interesting, interesting, you know, year or two, if you will. Yeah, for sure. Um, anything else you want to cover, Justin? Before we call the call it good? No, I think no. I think it's good. Uh, I don't. I just guessing. I think we're nearing on an hour, and I know you probably record some with QB eleven later. So, uh, no, I think this is a great spot to touch base, and and we can hopefully uh, put together another pod later this week. Yeah, let's do it. Good talking to you as always, and of course, check everything out on Scoop Deck. Follow Justin on Twitter. And, uh, you know, get all the latest inside info and recruiting updates over there at scoopduck.com. Thanks, Justin. Talk to you all later.